If you have your Bibles, if you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We continue our uh, journey through the book of Acts this morning, but this morning this, this sermon is going to serve dual roles. It is both a continuation of our series in Acts, and it's also an introduction to our series going through uh, as we work toward Easter. So we're beginning our Easter series this morning. We're not going to be in uh, Acts for most of it, but this morning's text is so fitting for both looking and turning our attention toward Jesus' death and resurrection, and it's so fitting for showing us what was happening in the world after Christ went back to heaven that I'm going to allow it to serve in both capacities this morning. So that's free. You don't have to pay any extra for any of that. Uh, I do want to say this morning a special welcome to uh, the basketball team from Colin. Good morning, guys. Good to see you all this morning. We began this morning by singing Victory in Jesus, and they began spring break week by Victory over East Central, right? All right, good to have you all. That's right. This morning in Acts chapter 2, there are just two things that we're going to see and will be done. The first thing is the background of this text and how it's significant. Verse 1 really gives us a, a significant background. I think it really helps us to grasp what's going on here. So we're going to look at that, and then we're going to see how the Holy Spirit's arrival fulfilled the promise that Jesus made in Acts 1.8 when he said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we'll see those two things. The background... We'll see the fulfillment of that promise, and we'll be done this morning. So look with me, beginning in verse 1, Acts 2, 1 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You would pray with me this morning. Like God, what a blessing to be able to see here before us your word, uh, the holy words of an almighty God that you have given so that we could know these things, so that we could know what happened, so that we could see your power displayed through your people. Lord, I pray this morning that we're reminded that we have the same power inside of us Lord, that you would use this text today to call us to be more faithful to you. Father, and that we would be excited and worship you joyfully as we see what you've done for us here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so here we see the disciples are gathered together. Right, We, we saw that last week. Jesus was with them and he spoke to them and he gave them some last instructions. And Jesus goes back to heaven And the disciples go to Jerusalem where they were told to go and to wait and they were there. And they were praying together and they were unified and they were waiting for this day. They didn't know that it was this day, but they knew that they were waiting. They were just told, go there and wait until the Holy Spirit arrives. So they don't know when he's coming. They're just there and they're waiting. But now all of a sudden the day arrives. And a little bit of the context and a little bit of the background here, we'll see later in this text that Jerusalem, where they are on this day, is filled to the brim with people. Over in verse 9, it tells us where these people were from. Parthians and Medes and Elamites 
and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, all of these people are in Jerusalem. Now, why? Why is it that all of these folks are in Jerusalem on this specific day? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's because what we see in verse 1. This is the day of Pentecost. Now, for most of us, when we say the day of Pentecost, what probably comes to mind is what we read here in Acts chapter 2. Right? We say the day of Pentecost, and we think the day that the Holy Spirit came. That's absolutely true. It's what this text tells us. But what we need to understand is that Pentecost was a significant day before this day. So we didn't name it Pentecost because the Holy Spirit came that day. It had already been named Pentecost. This was a holiday that had been a holiday for a long, long time. And that's the background that I want us to see. Not just so we'll know why there were a whole bunch of people in Jerusalem, but because I think there is significance to this. I think that the Holy Spirit coming on Pentecost was not a coincidence. This was something that God had planned, and it's a beautiful picture that's painted to me. So, so there are two special holidays that really go together for the Hebrew people, for the Jewish people, especially in the Old Testament. They go together very similar to me how Christmas and Easter go together. Right? Christmas is special. It's when we celebrate Jesus leaving heaven and coming to earth, which is a big deal. But you know what makes Christmas and Jesus coming to earth even more of a big deal? Easter. Right? Not, that, not just that he came to earth, but that he came to earth and then lived the perfect life and died in our place and came back to life. So we see, in the same way, this, this special man at Easter died and came back to life, but Christmas makes it even more special because we see it's not just some man that died and came back to life. It's God who left heaven and came to earth. So Christmas and Easter... They go together. Well, in my understanding, these two do as well. So there's the Feast of Passover that they celebrate. The Jewish people celebrate this every year. The Feast of Passover, and then there's Pentecost, or as the Jewish people call it, the Feast of Weeks. So when you hear me say those two, it's the same thing. The Feast of Weeks and Pentecost are the same thing. The, the Jewish people call it the Feast of Weeks because it happens seven weeks after Passover. The, the Greek people called it Pentecost because Pentecost just means 50. And seven weeks, Seth, how many days is, are in seven weeks? 49, that's really close to 50. The Greeks said we're going to round it up. We're just going to call it Pentecost because that's easier. Feast of weeks, Pentecost. So Passover, what is that celebration? Why was it a big deal to them? Well, it's, it's named for what happened. If you remember, whenever God's people, they were slaves in Egypt, and they had been slaves in Egypt for a long time, and God has sent all these plagues, but Pharaoh's heart has continued to be hardened, and he said, I'm not letting God's people go. And God said, when this last plague comes, you will beg for my people to go. And so the, the death angel comes. That night, remember, the death angel comes to Egypt and goes to every single house in all of Egypt and kills the firstborn son of every family unless they had sacrificed a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, right? And 
If the blood was on the doorpost, then when the death angel came, the death angel passed over that house, hence the celebration of Passover. So they remember that because these lambs were killed and the blood was placed there, and on that night, Pharaoh decided to set God's people free. So it's not just about the Passover, uh, not just about the death angel passing over them, but it's also, it's the day that they were set free. They've been, for hundreds of years, they'd been slaves, and now all of a sudden they're no longer slaves, they're free. And so they celebrate every single year, they celebrated Passover. It was a huge feast. They all went back to Jerusalem. It was, it was one of the, the feasts or the festivals where they journeyed to the temple. And so all the Jewish people would go to the temple during the week that they celebrated Passover. Well, seven weeks later, they had the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. Now, what was it? So you're in Egypt, right? You imagine you're in Egypt and Pharaoh says, you can go, you're set free. And seven weeks later, they come to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God comes down to the mountain, and they see God's glory, and Moses gets to come up, and God gives him the Ten Commandments on two tablets. He actually does that. And God tells them the law, and God makes this covenant promise with them. He, he says, I am going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And wherever you go, I'm going to be with you. You'll never be without me. I will guide you. I'm going to give you the promised land, and they have what we call the Mosaic Covenant. So these two are tied together. It's a big deal, Passover, because that's when they got to leave Egypt, and they weren't slaves anymore. But it's one thing to not be a slave, but it's another thing to be God's people. And so they put these two together, because at Passover, they leave out of Egypt, and then seven weeks later... God meets with them and says, you are my people. And they celebrated this covenant every year. So again, they go to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover, and then seven weeks later at Pentecost, they would go back. They would go back to Jerusalem, and that's why the city is filled to the brim. Now, why is that significant for what we're seeing here? In my mind, there are a couple of reasons that this is significant. And the first one is the picture of what we see, because in Egypt, a lamb died so that they didn't have to die, right? The, the lamb was killed and its blood kept their firstborn children from having to die. And you see here in this New Testament context, Jesus died the week of Passover. And then seven weeks later, they leave Egypt and God meets with them in person. And here we see the same thing. Right? Jesus dies, the perfect spotless lamb, that's who Jesus was. Jesus was the sacrifice that keeps us from having to die. Jesus is the sacrifice that sets us free from sin. And then seven weeks later, God comes and meets with his people, just like he did for the people of the Old Testament. These Jewish people every year celebrated when their ancestors were set free and seven weeks later, whenever God came and met with their ancestors in person. But now it's not just about their ancestors. It's about them. Because Jesus died to set them free, and then seven weeks later, in person, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of them. And it goes along with the text that Brother Grant read for us earlier. It's this new covenant, right? The, at Mount Sinai, that's the Mosaic covenant. This is the new covenant. 
and we read about that in Jeremiah 31. It said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And that's what we see taking place here. The Holy Spirit comes and is living inside of these Christian people. God has now put his law inside of them. He has written these truths not on tablets of stone, but on their hearts. And so we see the fulfillment. So it's this beautiful Old Testament. They're set free from Egypt. They meet with God and enter into covenant with him. New Testament. Jesus dies to set us free, and then seven weeks later the Holy Spirit comes and seals the new covenant. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture. There's one other thing about Passover and Pentecost that I see significant here. I'm not going to spend as much time. We're going to talk about this Wednesday night. But on these two days in the Old Testament setting, Passover, they celebrated the lambs that died and being set free from Egypt, but they also celebrated the first fruits of the year. So this took place at the same time that the crops just started to grow each year. And so they would take whenever the first bit of their grain or wheat or whatever would come in, they would cut it. And they would take it and they had offered it as a sacrifice. Now, I've talked about this at funerals before. And some of y'all are here. Some of you put some plants in the ground in the last week, right? Because we think the frost is gone. I know it's not Good Friday yet. Some of you may have jumped the gun. But you put some plants in the ground. And when that first ripe red tomato comes, and you ready to put it on a sandwich, just imagine this. That first one comes and you don't know how many more are coming, but that one's here. Taking that, that tomato and saying, I'm not going to eat this one. I'm going to give it as a sacrifice. I'm going to give it to the Lord because I trust that he's given me this one. He's going to give, them, give me more. That's what they did at Passover every year. They took the first of their crop that came in, and they gave it as a sacrifice to God. Saying, God gave us this. I trust he's going to give us more. It was the first fruit offering. So they did that every year when they journeyed to Jerusalem at, at Passover. They would take that with them and they would offer a sacrifice. Well, seven weeks later, in seven weeks' time, a whole lot of grain grows. So at, the, at Passover, the first time they go, they bring just a little bit. But whenever they come the next time, the harvest is full. And it's all ready to be cut. And there's a lot of food. And they've, they've seen the promise. It's no longer just a little bit, but God has... Bless them, and they have all of, these, all of this grain, everything that they need, and they recognize that, that God is the one that's provided it. And they celebrated it. These two go together again. They celebrate God giving the first, and then they celebrate the fullness of what God has given them. And why is that significant to us? Because I don't expect any of you to actually take that first tomato or that first cucumber and sacrifice it to God. That's not what I'm telling you to do. But listen to another New Testament text, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 20. It says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. 
For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So this language is specific. Paul calls Christ the firstfruits for a reason. Just like they would take that first little bit of grain, and it wasn't much, but it was a promise that this little bit came and a whole lot more was to come. Well, in the same way, Jesus is the first one to completely overcome sin and death. He's the first person to do that. But it's a promise. He was the first fruit. And it was Jesus overcame sin and death, and it promises that lots and lots more are coming. And that's what we see here. We see on this day, this very day, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, it says about three thousand people were saved so jesus is the first one to overcome sin and death but now all of a sudden on this day he makes it so that it's not just one but the harvest is full three thousand people come and they overcome sin and they're promised eternal life on this very day brothers and sisters the the timing is beautiful and the timing is perfect and it reminds me that god's timing is always impeccable God is always trustworthy. He always keeps his promises to us. This was his plan. It wasn't a coincidence that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. No, I think that God was showing us. He's reminding us that he had had this plan for all of eternity. He knew when this was going to happen. He knew how it was going to happen. And he's reminding us that he is with us. Us, just like he was with the people in Mount Sinai. I am your God and I will always be your God. And he says, the Holy Spirit is with you because I will always be with you. And it's a reminder that Christ is the first one to come back to life, but it's free to all that will respond to Christ. Everyone that will respond to Christ in faith will now be set free from sins and will be able to live forever. And that is good, good news. So point one this morning The Holy Spirit's arrival, this is a long point, I know, I'm sorry. The Holy Spirit's arrival is a seal of the promise of eternal life through God's covenant. We'll leave that up there for a minute for anybody that wants to take it down as a note. That's what we see. The Holy Spirit arrived on this day, and it was sealing that promise. God said, I'm going to make a new covenant. And Jesus said that this is the new covenant in his blood. So the new covenant has come and the Holy Spirit seals it. He shows us for sure this is the new covenant. God is with us and he will always be with us. And his law is inside of us. And he has completely changed us. And we are in covenant with him. We are his people. And we will always be his people. And he is our God and he will always be our God. I've loved to study this this week because of the beauty and the depth of the imagery that we see here. But I do believe that everything I just gave you is the background, and it's not the main point of this text. The main point of this text is that God does fulfill this promise. He made a promise. I am going to send to you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will give you power to be my witnesses. And that's what we see. Look in verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
And at this sound, the multitude, multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So here we see the fulfillment of that promise. Jesus said, go to, go to Jerusalem and wait. The Holy Spirit's coming. And when he comes, he's going to give you power. And you're going to be able to tell the whole world about what Jesus has done. They didn't know what that was going to look like. They didn't know when that was coming. But here, all of a sudden, we see it. It comes in a way that they can hear. There's this almost deafening sound. There's this sound that's so loud that it fills the house that they're in. But it obviously is heard all throughout town because folks all over town come running to see what's going on here. So there's this, there's this loud sound, but it wasn't just audible, it was visible. They actually saw, and I can't, I mean, I have a picture, and you probably have some picture of what this looks like, but we don't know exactly, but somehow it looks like little bitty fires coming down and resting on each one of these people that are in this room. And, and I think, I'm not going to press this too hard or go too long, but I think, again, it's a picture of what happened at Mount Sinai because at Mount Sinai, when God came down, it says that there was this trumpet blast that was so loud that it was almost deafening. And it says, in Exodus 19:18, it says, The Lord descended in fire. Here, the Holy Spirit descends as fire on each one of these people. I think it's significant, showing us this is the same God. The Holy Spirit is the same God as God the Father who met with Moses on Mount Sinai. But what we see here is the amazing power of the Holy Spirit because when the Holy Spirit comes, what happens? They all, all of the sudden, gain the ability to speak other languages that they didn't know before. In this miraculous way, these people are all of a sudden able to speak to people from all of these different places, from all around the world, and a miraculous ability that the Holy Spirit gives them. And so he, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to give you power. Now, if I'm just reading that, when I just read Acts 1-8, I'm like, all right, that's, what's that power going to look like? Well, God probably going to give them motivation, right? Whenever the Holy Spirit's inside of you, he's going to give you the oomph to go and tell people about Jesus. Kind of prick your conscience when you don't. Maybe that's what that looks like. We'd seen the promise that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, would help them to recall Scripture. So maybe that's what it means. When the Holy Spirit comes and gives you power, what he's really doing is helping you remember some Scripture. And he does all those things. But I tell you, this isn't what I would have expected. That all of a sudden, somebody that only speaks one language can speak all kinds of languages. And tell all kinds of people, but Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be able to be witnesses. Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And here on this day, that promise came true. They were able to speak, look with me again in verse 9, to people, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, were, we hear them telling us in our own tongues, in our own language, the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. So point two, the Holy Spirit truly gave the disciples the power to witness about Christ wasn't just some motivation. It, the power that they needed, what they needed on that day was the ability to speak in other languages. And the Holy Spirit said, I've got that. 
I can do that. I'm God. I can do anything. And what are they saying there in verse 13? That they've been drinking new wine. What they're saying is, I think they're drunk. This is literally what they're saying. These men that are speaking these languages, I think they're drunk. Brothers and sisters, I have unfortunately heard drunk people before. It's unintelligible. And I can tell you this, this is not the power of alcohol. This is the power of God. And it doesn't bring about unintelligible speech. It brings about the ability to speak in any language, to share the mighty works of God with everyone. Now, am I telling you that you will someday speak in tongues? I'm not telling you that. Am I telling you that the Holy Spirit inside of you could make you do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Am I telling you that the Holy Spirit inside of you is God and has the power to do absolutely anything? Absolutely. Brothers and sisters, we too often, maybe because we're Baptist and maybe because we have swung too far from uh, our charismatic brothers and sisters, but we way too often discount the Holy Spirit. Because what I'm telling you is this is God living inside of you. All the power of God, all the ability of God. And here's the main point. God fulfills his promises. He said, I will send the Spirit and he will give power. And he sent the Spirit and he gave power. But the setting of it at Pentecost magnifies that main point. He fulfills his promises and his timing is impeccable. He didn't just send the Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit when there were thousands and thousands of people from all over the world in this one city that could hear the gospel on this day. So I don't want you to miss that. Whenever Abraham took his son Isaac to the mountain to offer him as a sacrifice and was getting ready to kill his son and God said, Stop. You remember just before that, Isaac had said, Where is the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide the sacrifice. God already had this plan in place. Even then, God had this plan in place. Whenever in Egypt, when God said, sacrifice a spotless lamb and put his blood on the doorpost of your house, he already knew that he was going to give his son as the sacrificial lamb one day. He already knew that. Whenever he met with them on Mount Sinai and he descended in fire with the trumpet blast, he knew that on this day of Pentecost, this many years later, that he was going to send the Holy Spirit. This was not some reckless, thrown-together plan. This was a perfectly timed plan that has been in place for all of eternity. And it's a reminder to me, brothers and sisters, that we can trust God. When he said, y'all go wait in Jerusalem, he was staging them. He was putting them in the perfect place and the perfect position at the perfect time. And I'll tell you this morning that, that you may not be able to see what God's doing in your life, but if you're following what the Scriptures say, and if you're following what He's called you to do, then maybe what He's doing is just staging you for some amazing work that He has. But brothers and sisters, we need to trust Him. So this morning I want to ask you a, a couple questions. The first one is, are you part of the kingdom at all? Right? To be part of God's covenant people, to be part of the people that have overcome sin, and to be part of the people that are going to live forever, that means that you have entered into a covenant relationship with God. And how do we do that in the new covenant? Through faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's my first question. Have you ever responded in faith to Jesus Christ? Have you given your life to Him? Is He Lord and the one that's in charge 
are you still in charge of your life? And then I want to ask you, if you know that you have, if you know that you know that you are one of God's children, then are you trusting Him? Are you doing the things that Scripture calls you to, even when you disagree with it, even when it's hard, even when you don't like it, even when you don't understand it? Are you still doing it? I'm sure the disciples wanted to do all kinds of things when Jesus went back to heaven. Some probably wanted to go home. Some probably wanted to go see their friends. Some probably wanted to go back to work. But they went and did what he told them to. And it had them in the perfect spot. Are you trusting him? And now that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, are you witnessing about Christ? Are you telling people about Jesus? Because there are no excuses. I don't know enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. The Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit that's inside of you knows enough and is strong enough and is good enough and is perfect enough and He will give you the power that you need if we're obedient to Him.